This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. We're just days away from Canada's 148th birthday. Immigrants have always played a very important role in shaping our country and they continue to do so. This week... 25 immigrants were honored for their contributions to Canada. One of them was celebrity chef Vikram Vidge, who came to Canada in the late 80s. He'll share his story with us today. Plus, this week, the country's largest health charity threw down the gauntlet. The Canadian Cancer Society says the federal government is undermining the fight against cancer. Coming up, I'll tell you why. But first... Here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Toronto streets are set to become safer for Zoomers. City councillors on Toronto and East York community councils voted this week to reduce the current 40-kilometre-an-hour speed limit on many residential streets. It's a final decision that does not need to go through full city council. Over the past few years, Toronto has seen a dramatic rise in the number of senior pedestrians killed on our roads. Reducing the speed limit from 40 to 30 kilometers per hour changes the odds of surviving being hit by a car from 50% to 90%. A happy worker is a productive worker. It's with that adage in mind that office managers across England have been tasked with raising their game to create happy, healthy workplaces. New guidelines from the National Institute of Health and Care Excellent, that's nice, offers advice on how to develop the culture of an organization to create a positive environment, which includes basic principles such as ensuring staff work reasonable hours, take regular breaks, and feel appreciated. Nice says this will increase productivity since work-related illnesses cost the UK about £13 billion a year. The Japanese government has lifted a 67-year-old ban on dancing after midnight. The ban was put into place just after World War II in an effort to end prostitution. For over half a century, it prohibited dancing anywhere without a special license. And even if a club had that special license, dancing had to stop after midnight. Enforcement of the law has become increasingly lax over the past few decades, especially in Japan's major cities. It will be replaced with a new law that will allow dancing after midnight in any club, as long as the lights are not too low. Patrick McNee, who appeared in theatre on Broadway and is best remembered for playing John Steed in the 1960s TV spy series The Avengers, has died. 
The 93-year-old British-born McNee played a number of minor roles, including one in Laurence Olivier's 1948 film version of Hamlet, before rising to fame in The Avengers between 1961 and 1969. He returned when that series was reprised as the new Avengers in the mid-1970s. McNee later starred on Broadway in Sleuth and appeared in the 1985 James Bond movie A View to a Kill as an ally of Roger Moore's Bond character. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. It was a tough critique of the Harper government's record on cancer care. This week, the country's largest health charity, the Canadian Cancer Society, issued a blunt report that says Ottawa is failing on that file. And with the upcoming election in mind, it issued a call to action to all political parties. I reached Canadian Cancer CEO Pamela Freilich in her office. We've always done some advocacy. What is different right now is that Canada, for the first time, has a fixed date for an election. So we know very well in advance that there is going to be an election, and we feel there should be debate and dialogue. Um, therefore, uh, you know, let's be deliberative, let's be thoughtful about it, uh, and um, you know, take advantage of the opportunity for politicians to, of all stripes to be in front of us and, and hopefully hear a message. Mm-hmm. I mean, but it, it, it is the first time that you've become involved in an election. Uh, I guess it depends on how you define uh, involved, because it is a very consistent activity of ours to speak with politicians all the time. And I will say, because this is in our brief, that uh, in recent years there hasn't been a great deal of debate around uh, the federal involvement in health. Uh, the focus has been on the economy and security, and you know we agree those are important issues, but from our perspective, health is as well. You were pretty straightforward uh, in saying that the federal government uh, just isn't doing enough. Yes. You seem to suggest that health just hasn't been on this government's radar. Yeah, so uh, this government certainly does fund health. Uh, There is a transfer of funds. They uh, have viewed this as their primary responsibility and, you know, are leaving it to the provinces to uh, determine what to do with those funds and develop their own programs. And so as a result of of the government seeing itself as the funder as opposed to, uh, you know, other roles they might play, uh, there really has been uh, a scarcity, I guess, of debate on the health file at that federal level. Your report also says that the steps the government has taken to reduce the incidence of cancer have been undermined by contradictions and missed opportunities. What are those? So where we might see that the tobacco taxes are raised uh, and that will affect the uh, uptake of smoking, we are, of course, trying to have no new smokers. So that's a very good thing. But then cutting the funding for other tobacco control measures at the same time seems to uh, go in in opposition, I guess, to that particular move. Uh, Another example, uh, again, on tobacco would be uh, this great move of restricting the sale of flavored tobacco, which we've been advocating for. Uh, It did take a fair uh, bit of time to get there, but we got there. Uh, However, uh, menthol tobacco was not included, and this is the one that is most attractive, we know from our research, to young people and that will incite them to start smoking. So instead of having a federal leadership role and and, uh, policy to include menthol in the the whole flavored tobacco issue, you'll see provinces doing it one by one. So it's being, the action has to be undertaken 10 times over. 
there is more to be done in terms of uh, what essentially is palliative care and uh, dealing with the suffering uh, of individuals going through cancer, making sure that there is a dignified uh, passing uh, from this life to uh, to wherever one is going. Do you feel that, that this government has been less involved at the national level than previous governments? Um, well, certainly you can uh, talk about the, um, the the 10-year health plan that was put in place by a previous government. Uh, that was continued under this government. That's a good thing, but it, it was then not um, reopened for debate or, or extended or renegotiated. There certainly was an expectation in the health world that that debate would take place. Um, it, you know, this government uh, chose to go a different route. So, yes, that has resulted in, in less public debate on the health field uh, in the recent years. Uh, what about research in general? This government has a reputation as not being very supportive of research. The federal government funds about a billion dollars. The challenge that we see with that is that it hasn't moved since 2008. It really has flatlined. Uh, we're finding out more and more each year, and with every discovery comes new questions. It moves us forward in terms of solutions and, and guideposts in terms of prevention, research, quality of life, palliative care. And if we are going to uh, really take on this this beast of cancer, uh, it is the research, as I say, that is going to guide us in that. So uh, we are concerned that the amount of funding going into uh, health research has not increased at all in the last uh, eight or nine years. Are you going to meet with all the parties as they craft their platforms on health, and do you plan on endorsing any platforms or anything like that? Yeah, we would not be endorsing platforms. Uh, that's not our role. We're, we we truly are nonpartisan. Uh, I, I know some have, have interpreted what we're doing as being a little more political than we see it. Uh, we're simply advocating on behalf of Canadians and particularly those going through that, that journey of cancer. Okay. Pamela Freilich, thanks so much. Thank you, Libby. Appreciate the opportunity. I've been speaking with Pamela Freilich, President and CEO of the Canadian Cancer Society. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. This week, RBC released their annual list of the top 25 immigrants who have made significant contributions to Canada since their arrival. Celebrity chef Vikram Vij was among those being honoured, and he'll join me in a moment. Canada Day is coming up, and in addition to honouring our founding fathers, it's a time to acknowledge immigrants and the role of immigration in our country's history. This week, RBC handed out its Top 25 Immigrant Awards. I chatted with one of the winners, celebrity chef and entrepreneur Vikram Vij. Congratulations on your award. Namaste and uh, humbled and honored by this great award given to me by RBC. I mean, it's a great feeling. You know, when I came to this country, my goal was to bring awareness to my uh, cuisine and my culture of, of India and to make people understand that butter chicken and chicken tikka masala is not the only Indian dish on the planet, that there is... Uh, so many different nuances in flavors, in styles of cooking, and to showcase that our cuisine is as complex as any French, Italian, or Californian cuisine. So why I deserve the award, I don't know why I deserve the award, but why I feel good about it is because RBC has recognized that uh, this country that is built on immigration and on, on immigrants 
they are able to come to this great country, uh, use the sustainable seafood, use the sustainable uh, ways of cooking, and still uh, you know, keep their heritage uh, intact. So we are not just a melting pot. We are a beautiful mosaic of colors and fabrics and, and different styles of what we do. Now, when did you come to Canada and when did you become a citizen? I uh, landed in Canada in 1989 at the, in the fall, and in 1993, I became a Canadian uh, citizen. But I moved uh, actually from Austria, where I was studying and to become a, a chef. And uh, I, when I came to Canada, I actually came to Banff Springs Hotel. And my thinking at that time, I didn't travel much. I thought everybody, uh, you know, lived like in the Banff Springs Hotel and lived... <laughs> lived in a castle like that. So I was like, oh, my God, I want to live in a castle like that, too, one day. You know, at that time when I landed in Calgary, you could not buy cilantro. You could not buy any of those uh, Indian spices. And it was a cuisine that was kind of literally tucked under the carpet. And the few hippies who had traveled to India and smoked pot uh, are the ones who knew about Indian cuisine. And now Indian cuisine has become... Uh, an everyday cuisine, and it's not even considered ethnic anymore. Your restaurant in Vancouver, you started with a tiny place, really. You and your wife, it was really sounded like a typical immigrant story. It was, to be honest with you. You know, I I had finished work uh, at a really good uh, restaurant, and uh, my father came from India as a typical immigrant with $23,000, in a brown paper bag, cash. And I asked him, I said, how did you bring this in? And he says, well, I just brought it in. They never asked and never told. And I was like, oh my God. You know, and he, he, he commented that way. And then we took that money and we bought a first uh, restaurant on West Broadway location where my mother cooked with me in the kitchen. And uh, it was a typical one-man show. You know, my dad helped me chop onions and and you know, uh, make the spices. My mother would critique me for what I was doing. And I would, every time I wanted to do something different, he would be like, but these white people, they will not know any different. So just make <laughs> the same curry. And I would be like, no, Papa, people are sophisticated now. I want to do something different. So at that time, he didn't really understand it because he was an immigrant himself. And all he wanted to do was to survive and be a businessman. Whereas for me, it was a little bit different. It, for me, it was like, Not only do I want to survive and be a good businessman, I also wanted to bring the awareness of the cuisine and the spices. You mentioned that your your father wanted to be a businessman, and it's a very typical immigrant story that people come here and become very successful business people. You have become a celebrity. I think that's a new thing for an immigrant. Yeah, but I I never put out myself to be a celebrity. People call me celebrity. I don't even see myself as a celebrity. I drive a Prius. I drive a regular car. I do not forget my humble beginnings. I still take my own plate after I've eaten and I go to the kitchen and I put it away because I cannot forget the humble beginnings when I first started and when my breakaway point was $100 a day. It would be great if I was just called, uh, you know, Chef Vikramvich because that's what I've studied to be or a sommelier Vikramvich. What advice do you have for other, for new Indian immigrants? Well, my advice is not going to be just to other Indian uh, immigrants. My advice would be to all immigrants is that this is a beautiful country. Be part of it, understand it, respect it, and more than that, work hard 
so that you can become model citizens of the country that you left behind, whether it is Vietnam, whether it is Cambodia, and showcase to the world that the things that you learned growing up in your own country are of great respect and great love. And just work hard at it. Like, really, there is no substitute for hard work. It has taken me 24 years of sheerly taking people's hands and asking them to taste my cuisine to make it to where we have gotten here. It has not come easy, and it is not going to be easy, and it should not be easy. Hmm. Very well said. Congratulations, and happy Canada Day coming up. Namaste to everybody, and thank you so much for uh, listening to my uh, talk. Pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was chef and sommelier Vikram Vij on his award as one of Canada's top 25 immigrants. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. This week started on a sad note with the death of the very talented and successful film composer James Horner. We'll return to pay tribute and hear some of his music right after this. Welcome back to the Zoomer Weekend Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. It's time for your international arts datebook tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, Marilyn Monroe is among the iconic figures in 18 lifelike sculptures created by artist Seward Johnson. They're occupying a pedestrian plaza in the Garment District, and passersby are doing double takes because they look so real. The Broadway hit Vanya and Sonia and Masha and Spike is making its Chicago debut. The story begins with two siblings who are trapped in boring lives, caring for their ailing parents. Everything changes when a third movie star sister arrives. To London, England, where the Imperial War Museum presents a fresh take on world conflicts from World War I to the present day in visions of war above and below. The exhibition focuses on the more imaginative results of warfare presented through a wide range of artworks. And there's still time to see the spectacular light show in Sydney, Australia. It features works from the 1960s to the present day by major international artists. They range from atmospheric installations to sculptures that you can move around and even through. It's at the Museum of Contemporary Art. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. This week, we lost Hollywood composer James Horner. He was flying a small, single-engine airplane that went down and crashed into a forest in California, cutting his life short at the age of 61. Horner was born in Los Angeles but moved to London at a very young age. He studied at the Royal College of Music before returning to America, where he received a bachelor's degree in music from the University of Southern California. His breakout role as a film composer came in 1982 when he scored the soundtrack to Star Trek, The Wrath of Khan. He went on to compose soundtracks to many popular films, including Cocoon, An American Tale, Braveheart, Apollo 13, Avatar, A Beautiful Mind, and, of course, Titanic. He picked up two Academy Awards for his work on that film, Best Original Score and Best Original Song. Right now, we'll hear that Best Original Song, which is one of the best-selling singles of all time. Here is My Heart Will Go On. 
That was Celine Dion with My Heart Will Go On. The music was written by James Horner, who was killed this week at the age of 61. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Zneimer. Thanks for joining me today. Next week, I'll talk to one of Canada's most inspirational athletes, Rick Hansen. We'll see you then. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program director, John Vandriel. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. Home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air and The Garden Show.